Well, I have to say, I've been really looking forward to this. I'm glad you guys showed up. I honestly forgot to announce it last Sunday and Saturday night. So afterward, I was thinking, wait a minute, uh, that's this week. And uh, so I'm glad you're all here, man. That's, that's really cool. Uh, I have high expectations and high hopes, I think, for this. Um, I, just, I just feel um, that in these days we're living, uh, it's time for us as Athey Creek men to say, what can we do? Um, just to be more dialed in, um, just to have our game on, uh, have our sword in hand and ready to roll. Um, I got, had the privilege to go down and shoot with uh, uh, some of the Athey Creek guys, and um, Jeff Young's brother, uh, Tony Young, is a guy who, uh, he's a police officer in Southern Oregon, and he's, he's one of these guys that go to these uh, shooting championships and, and always, always goes away with the, the, the first place uh, and it's just insane shooting with this guy. Uh, it makes you feel like, man, I should just hang it up. Uh, um, he, he can do this thing where he just moves. Like, I guess if you're a police officer and, and you know, the, the bad guys are shooting at you, if you're moving, uh, you're going to be at 70% uh, better chance of not being hit by one of their bullets uh, if you're moving. So he actually trains his officers how to, how to shoot and move at the same time while, he, while he's got targets, and he's, and he's shooting at the targets while he's moving, and then he moves this way and that way, and it's actually kind of fun to watch, uh, watch him do it. And the thing is, he's, he doesn't miss. And when I talk about not missing, it's like the red dot. He doesn't miss the red dot, you know, 25, uh, 30 feet out. He's moving around, and targets everywhere, and, he's, and then I, I'm doing it. I think the neighbors have to run. They're, it's like there's <laughs> rounds flying every which way, but uh, uh, it, it really is fun to watch a guy who's, who's good at his skill and, and knows what he's doing. And, uh, you know, it, Tony's one of those guys that he can, t- he can take a handgun and do all that stuff. And then we, um, we grabbed an old lever action, uh, a pre-64 Winchester, uh, uh, 32 caliber, 32 special. And uh, we got off to 100 yards. Uh, and this has just got the little iron sights. And this gun, had, I don't think it had been fired for uh, 40 years or something. I think it was a 1930s era Winchester. Um, uh, and um, so we were all kind of afraid to fire it, you know, because it, 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 it might explode on you or something, you know. It's pretty old. Uh, but he gets that, you know, puts the round in there, 100 yards out, bing! And, and, you know, the metal plate was a little 8-inch plate at 100 yards, and it was just perfectly right in the center of the plate. First shot, Winchester lever action. I was just like, okay, where's John Wayne now? Uh, it's like, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, but, but seeing a guy who's good at his, at his art like that, that that's, that's pretty cool. And, and, um, and in a way, I feel that uh, um, some of us are gangsters when it comes to that kind of thing. Have you ever watched a gangster in the movie, how they shoot? It's always, it's, it's not like this. It's not, it's more like this. You know, they're shooting from over here. Hey, yo. And it's like, that's the way Christian, a lot of Christian men are. We're supposed to use our sword with skill, but we walk around, hey, man, you know, check it out, I got the Bible, man. We're ready to row. And, and, and the question is, do we, really, do we really know how to use it? Do we really know how to use the one weapon God has given us, uh, you know, uh, to, to be the offensive weapon against the enemy? And uh, I think sometimes we just kind of inadvertently use the Bible in a way that is um, clumsy, maybe. Uh, not on the bullseye, not on the mark. And, um, and uh, the, the way you get better at it, I think, is the same way that Tony got really good at shooting his, his firearms. Is, uh, he, he just did thousands and thousands of rounds and lots of hours. And, uh, you know, what, what makes a police officer good is, is that they take time and, and use it. And uh, I've also been told, use it or lose it. If, you, if you're not using your skill, you do tend to lose it. And, um, 
And so that's kind of what these uh, Saturdays are going to be about. They're going to be about us saying, guys, let's sharpen our skills. Let's, let's take a hard look at how we're doing spiritually um, because um, it's a huge important issue. Our families de- depend on you as men. Our church depends on you as men uh, being dialed in and leading the congregation. Um, uh, it's so important for the brothers to be uh, dialed and have our skills dialed in. And so um, we're going to cover all kinds of things. You know, one of the reasons um, we uh, are, are, are calling this Ironworks is because um, uh, I love that uh, Proverbs. Uh, it's kind of our, our, our verse, I guess, for this, this thing that we're going to be doing here for this season. Uh, Proverbs 27, uh, 17 is, is sort of the perfect description it says, um, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. That's Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen. That's kind of the deal here. That's what we're shooting for here is, is to sharpen each other, sharpen as, as iron sharpens iron. Now, when I was a kid, my dad used to have me uh, take uh, some of our farm instruments, and I would uh, sharpen some of the blades. We had some old tractors and stuff, and I'd there's this one old implement. It was, it was kind of the sickle thing, but uh, I had to grind it once in a while and just get all the rough edges off. But when you're sharpening iron, uh, sparks fly, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's a, a work in progress. And I, I think that uh, when, when a friend sharpens a friend, sometimes I think the sparks fly, and it can hurt uh, at times. So uh, one of the things that I'm hoping to see in this, out of, come out of this maybe as, as the times of these seasons go by uh, at, these, uh, at these sessions, I guess, is that uh, I see good friendships forged here on Saturday mornings. Uh, and also that, um, like here, I'll just tell you, plain and simple, what I'd love to see at 8th Greek. I'd like to see groups of men of three or four uh, really start to hook up and get to know each other. I'd like to see men's of, uh, men of various ages, not just a bunch of 22-year-old guys hooking up with 22-year-old guys. I'd like to see the 22-year-old guy and the 32-year-old guy and the 42-year-old guy and the 72-year-old guy uh, hook up as a team. And, and uh, there's something about that, that that's really cool. There's a guy in our church who's been kind of praying about that, uh, uh, older men and younger men hooking up. And, and I really like the, the things that he's talking about. And the reason why the mix is good, because we're all in different places. And uh, sometimes the younger men need that, that, just that wisdom from a guy who's been through it and lived some life. Uh, but actually, the older guy gets, gets uh, encouragement from the young guy. He's still got some energy uh, and some, uh, some strength, and, and he, can, he can actually take the things that he's learned and pass them on to the younger guy. And, you know, the accountability, iron, sharpening iron, friends that are hooking up. I'd love to see that happen in time. I'm not going to say we have to force that right now, but uh, that's something we're, we're, we're working on, and I'm hoping to see. Some of you guys are already doing that. I love that. I'd like to see more of that stuff. Um, uh, that's one of the things I'm hoping to see. Another thing is I'm going to cover various topics, uh, and, uh, and we're going to cover uh, all that stuff. Uh, the Lord's put a bunch of stuff on my heart, everything from how to lead our wives uh, in the ways of the Lord, uh, how to lead family devotions. I'm going to take at least one session on, on family devos and how important they are, how, how they radically changed my life. Uh, family devos. My dad is not an orator. He's not a fancy speaker. Uh, he can't sing or play the guitar for the most part. Uh, he taught me my first chords on the guitar, though. But, uh, but uh, other than that, that's his, his level. But, but my dad led our family as like a pastor would lead a church. And, uh, and uh, man, I just, I, I just hope more of us as men can lead our homes and, 
And uh, I'm going to do a whole thing on that. We're, we're going to put together, a, uh, we're working on putting together a, a, a family devotion series from Athey Creek Men, their favorite top several family devos that they've done in their home with their kids. We're going to take ideas from you guys and we're going to put it all together in a book and, uh, and then give it out to you guys as, okay, here's your, here's your ammo uh, for, for this year uh, to be able to do a bunch of cool family devos with your kids uh, and uh, it'll be for all different ages and stuff like that. But, you know, some of you guys, I hear some of the great things you've been doing with your family devotions, and, man, I'd like to share that with all, all the other guys. And, um, and you say, well, what if I'm uh, not in a, um, uh, what if I'm not, you know, don't have kids, or what if my kids are teenagers? Uh, there's, there's still family devos. We can, we can talk about what you can do. And, and if you're just doing family devos with just you and your wife, we got all kinds of things and uh, we could talk about. We, we might even kick into financial uh, issues. And uh, I'm going to be pulling brothers up here and having us uh, share and answer questions. And I want it to be kind of interactive. So uh, what, what that means is you got to come being ready to jump in and pitch in and, uh, and perhaps even uh, contribute uh, to the discussion. And, uh, and then also not being afraid to pray with guys uh, um, after each session. I want, I want to break up into groups and pray. Uh, so we got some work to do, and I, I think the Lord is going to bless it. Um, so uh, the, this first session, I told you guys on uh, two Sundays ago when I first talked about this, personal devotion. Uh, what does that look like? Uh, and and, and what, 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 are, what are guys doing right now with, with their personal devotion to God? Um. I, I'm concerned that we have lost the, the right vision and direction about what it looks like for a man to be personally devoted to God. So, uh, let's, let's throw some things out here. What, what does the man look like that has his personal, personal devotion to God? Uh, what does that look like? What would that include? Um, uh, there's some obvious ones. Let's, let's just jump into those. Uh, who wants to jump in first? What, what is a man who's, just give me one thing that a, a devoted, a godly devoted man, what's that going to look like? Prayer. prayer. Big one. Huge. Uh, Bible says pray without ceasing. James says the prayer of uh, um, uh, a fervent, r- a righteous man availeth much. Uh, the Bible says if you're a, a righteous man praying fervently, you're going to have all kinds of blessing that comes from that. It'll, it'll profit us a lot. Prayer, right on. What, what's another one? Worship, worship. Um, you know what I love about this fellowship? I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back, but um, I do love that this fellowship has a bunch of men who uh, uh, are into worship. Um, I've, I've been at churches, I've spoken at conferences where, uh, or, or groups where I've seen um, men and women, and it's always the women leading the charge when it comes to worship. You know, it's like, oh, this is the singing time, this is the girl stuff guy stuff will be later when we're getting into the word or it's like there's a division in a lot of places you go where the the men are just kind of crossing their arms and just sitting there during worship um i love out athy we got men who are willing to worship the lord and um it's not considered a um the female side of church uh i I hope uh hope you guys keep chiming in by the way let me give you a freebie on this um have you ever noticed that uh sometimes as men i think one of the problems is our worship leaders Guys that know how to sing good, they usually sing high. Have you noticed that? The, the better the singer, the higher he goes. You know, and by the end of worship, he's like, oh, and you're like, uh, uh, trying to sing out a note. Hey, here's, here's a freebie for you. Just sing an octave down lower than those guys, uh, uh, and uh, that'll help. But don't be afraid to sing out loud and, 
and uh, worship even when they go high. Uh, that, that's good. Uh, um, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but at Athey Creek, um, I'm, I'm kind of an ogre. I make the guys, and I have for the last 20 years, turn, make them tune down their guitar a half step. They, they're not tuned to pitch. Um, that, that's, that's, that's to help the guys jump in, uh, you know, so, so we, we'll have guest musicians come up and grab a guitar and they'll come and they're like, what, what? It's like this thing, it's like nice and low. That's, that's to help you guys out. So, so, uh, it's so that we can sing the songs. Uh, that's the goal. Uh, when, you know, when Brooke or, or some of the girls lead a song, sometimes you're like, man, this is totally out of my league. I'll go an octave down. I love worshipers, men that are willing to worship. David, who uh, was a man's man, killed the giants. Uh, remember when David uh, killed all those Philistines, cut off, well, uh, that certain place of uh, uh, male anatomy and stuck all of them, hundreds of them in a bag and dragged it out and threw the bag down in front of King Saul. Do you guys remember that story? That's, that's kind of, I mean, does it get much more manly than that, I guess? Uh, I don't know if that's a happy thing, but, um, but he was also a guy who wrote worship songs to the Lord and he was called a man after God's own heart. Um, how important is that, man, to be a worshiper? So we got prayer, we got worship. What else? The word, the word of God, uh, the word. That's such a key for us as men. Uh, how shall a young man cleanse his way by thy word that I've hidden in my heart? That's what's going to make make a difference. Uh, it's going to be huge. Uh, being in the word, and without the word, we have no weapon. You know, the weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not carnal, but they're spiritual. And the purpose is for the tearing down of strongholds. And man, I'll tell you guys. Satan wants to put the stronghold in your life right now. And I, I fear uh, that we have more strongholds that are being built up than we'd like to admit. Uh, man, we live in a day uh, where things are just tough. Uh, it's, everything's against you guys uh, doing well. Um, just your iPhone alone is a cesspool of trouble. And, um, and we've got we've to deal with some of that stuff. Uh, and we probably will. We'll talk even about technology and some of that stuff and what we can do as men to be above reproach. And we'll kind of get into a bunch of that stuff. So uh, a huge. So you got the word, you got prayer, you got worship. What else? Meditation. That's good. Uh, that's a good one. You know, the Bible talks about that. And if uh, we will meditate upon the Lord, even as um, uh, he, the guy that meditates on the word, uh, he'll be like that tree that is firmly planted by the river of water. Um, prayer, meditation. Yep. What else? quiet time. Jesus went away uh, to uh, get away from the crowds, didn't he? And, he? and and he would go and just be with him and the Father. Uh, quiet time is a hard one, uh, frankly. For me especially, I just don't like quiet time. I, I like to be busy. I like to do uh, this and that and feel like I'm doing something. But to go and get away and be quiet and be still and know that he's God, that's a hard one for uh, a lot of us in this culture. Um, uh, what else? Spreading the gospel. A, a godly man will have the, the, the word of God on the tip of his tongue, and he'll be able to speak out. Um, and what, what was the one thing Jesus told us to do is go out into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize people, make disciples, you know, evangelism. That, that is something I think we will see godly men who are personally devoted absolutely doing. Uh, good one. Uh, what else? Confession, confession of sin. Yeah, Absolutely. James 5, confess your sins one to another. Uh, that's what we're to do. Confess our sins to the Lord. 1 John 1, 9, he'll be faithful and just. Forgive us, cleanse us. Man, that's right. We could go on, can't we? I mean, there's a lot of good ones about what a, what a devoted, godly man looks like. Um, and so the list is important. The, that list is important. Uh, and, and we will talk about some of those things, perhaps, in detail. 
But I think that maybe we come about it in a, in a wrong way. And it has to do with how you feel. Do you ever feel like, okay, that's a great list, Pastor Brett. Good job there. We all did such a fine job talking about all the nice things. But some of you guys are like, oh, man, <laughs> what a lofty list that is. Um, you know, some of you, we talked about prayer. Some of you guys are thinking uh, to yourself right now, when was the last time I actually prayed? Um, I understand that. Uh, and, and you don't have to feel like you're alone. I bet you more guys in this room than not feel like, oh, man, I don't pray nearly enough. Or I don't pray. You know, when, when was the last time you prayed when, when nobody was looking? That's a huge test for myself. When was the last time I prayed when nobody was looking? When it was just because I was praying um, to the Lord. I know there's, there's guys that they pray because, well, their wives and their family kind of expected at dinner time you're going to pray. And you might uh, tuck your kids in and pray with them at night. And you've got your dutiful, manly prayers that you pray. And that's good. I'm not knocking that. But, but Jesus talked about how there were those who were praying only to be seen of men. And he said, the guy that's, that's the right-on guy, what, where does he go to pray? Anybody? The closet. Uh, when was the last time you went into your closet and prayed? When nobody was looking. That's what Jesus, Jesus said, that's where it's at right there. It's in the closet. When nobody's looking. Um, and so you kind of think, okay, so what's my motivation for being a guy who's uh, devoted to the Lord? And is, is it real devotion? Is it real personal relationship, personal devotion, when, when I'm doing it only when, you know, we're at a Sunday night celebration and Brett opens it up for prayer time and you're kind of sitting there and nobody's praying. It's like, I better pray because nobody else is hurting. There's more women praying than men. And I know Brett's going to get on us if the, if the men aren't praying. And I better do it. And, and, and guys feel that pressure. That, 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 that's good. I will put that pressure on, by the way. Do you guys know that? That's a real thing. If we're at a Sunday night celebration and more women are praying than men, then, uh, then I'm going to come down on the guys because we've got to lead in spiritual things. I, I really believe that. And bless the sisters' hearts. Uh, they, they tend to be deeply spiritual, but they, I really agree with the Bible. Call me a chauvinist if you want, but I believe that the Bible teaches that men are supposed to lead in those spiritual things. If we're just doing that because, oh, I guess I better pray now. It's Thanksgiving. So we better pray at dinner time, you know. I, I understand that. I, I, I know that, that, that pressure and, and what have you. But, but man, personal relationship with God, personal devotion. Um, and so you go, man, Brad, great. I failed in that one. Um, and, uh, you know, we could go down the list, reading the Word and being skilled with the Word of God. Am I skilled with the Word of God or have I neglected the sword? Is it getting rusty and is it uh, kind of dull right now, uh, sitting off in the dirt somewhere? Uh, is that where, where, where our weapon of our warfare is at? And, and, and depending on what topic we're, we're going to, prayer, worship, um, uh, maybe just you've just lost your joy since you've been saved. Remember where um, we, we see that, you know, Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And you, you find yourself praying, Lord, would you restore unto me the joy of my salvation? Because, man, what happened to my first love? And maybe if you're a guy who's been a Christian for a long time, that's one of your biggest battles. I know it can be for us that, that have been saved for years, is it can grow cold. And you, you just kind of can really easily fake your way through it, go through the motions, and be a, a godly man who's committed to Christ. And everybody's like, wow, I wish I could be like that guy. But in your heart, you're knowing... Uh, no, you don't want to be me. You, you don't want to be me. I've just become really good at being the godly man when I need to be. And, uh, and, and then when the, everything's turned off and nobody's looking, uh, I don't even talk to the Lord. I don't really even spend time thinking about the Lord. Um, 
I, I don't really have that relationship with the Lord. And, and if a guy's honest, he'll get to that place where he's saying, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's me. And uh, that's kind of what I want to do battle against uh, in, in our first discussion here. Um, and, um, and let's talk about this. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. It has a lot to do with why we do what we do. I remember when my dad um, purchased back in 1971 um, a Volkswagen Type 3 squareback with the little pancake motor. It was like the first fuel-injected Volkswagen. And they didn't have fuel injection down very good back then. And uh, we had to always fiddle with the fuel injection on that thing. Um, and, um, uh, but, but when we, when we you know, it was, it was kind of a neat car back in 1971. A Volkswagen, kind of a little station wagon kind of deal. And, um, and we had that for years. And uh, dad would make me go out on Saturday mornings and wash the Volkswagen. Uh, and so I remember hating that job. What a waste of time, you know, washing mom and dad's car. And so I'd get a bucket, throw some water in it, squirt some soap in, grab a towel, and just throw it on the car, kind of drag it across, rinse it off, and, you know, and then there I'd wash the car. And, you know, my dad would get on me and show me the little uh, holidays that I had, little pieces of dirt that I didn't pick. He'd write, you got to clean. And, and I'd just reluctantly wash it again because I didn't get it good enough the first time. And he didn't stand for that very much, you know, and he'd make me do it. But it was, a, it was definitely a got to. I got to clean the car. I got to wash the Volkswagen. But then that day came where my relationship with the Volkswagen changed very radically. Um, I remember, uh, this is pretty funny, uh, when I got my driver's license, uh, actually, uh, I was able to uh, get my driver's license a little bit early because my school was so far away, the bus didn't come all the way to my house. And so I got the special provision to be able to drive the Volkswagen. Um, and, um, and so I got it uh, when I was like 15, I purchased it from my parents. Uh, 1200 bucks, a Volkswagen. Uh, it was our family car. It was brand new when they bought it. Uh, by this time, it's, um, it's like 12, 13 years old now. Or, uh, yeah, 12 years old. And, um, but, but it's amazing. When I paid that money, uh, to, you know, when you're, when, when, you're, when you're a kid who's bucking hay for 1200 bucks, you love that car. Yeah, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And, man, I, I loved that Volkswagen. I called it Old Bessie. And uh, it was a silver, silver, we painted it silver and had chrome rims, man. I put chrome rims and it kind of was the, the silver surf mobile kind of thing. And man, I loved that car. And, and on Saturday mornings, man, especially if I was going to do something with my friends or something that night, I would go out and wash that car. And it was no longer just throwing a towel on, letting it just kind of drag across. I was there, you know, cleaning every little inch. I was rubbing compound, making sure everything was glistening in the sun. Man, I loved that thing. I'd vacuum it all out with zeal. I'd spent the whole day just cleaning up old Bessie. And uh, it was just exciting and fun. And man, at the end of the day, I'd look at it and I'd just be so happy. What was the difference uh, between when I was uh, younger and I was washing my dad's car versus when I had my own, my own Volkswagen. It was my own car. I had a vested interest. It was something that was real to me. Um, it was something that was part of who I was. It was, it was actually part of my identity. It, was, it wasn't my identity when my parents had it. It was just my mom and dad's car. But it's funny how the car itself didn't change. Uh, in fact, it was junkier then by far uh, than when my parents first got it. Um, and so all that to say, uh, I, I wonder if maybe some of us uh, feel the pressure to have a personal um, prayer life, a personal relationship, a personal time in the Word because, well, the Father in heaven 
requires that of us. And so we open up our Bible and we read our devotion kind of reluctantly, but we know we should do it. And we're supposed to pray with our wives. So we reluctantly pray with our wives. And there's kind of this thing where we have sort of that, that attitude where it's just kind of a, a got to rather than a get to. And so we start to wonder and we worry about what, 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 is our, what are our priorities and, and what can change? How can that change back to where it's, it's the zeal, that's joy to, to walk with the Lord and to have that zeal? I, I, think, I think there's a nuance. And some people might just think this is a nuancy thing, but I think it's huge. I think it's giant. And, it, and it's this, this single question I want to ask you. Do you guys hear a beeping? Brent, I think, is that an alarm of some kind? Yeah. Um, yeah, we got all these alarms. We're still trying to figure out what they're for. Uh, uh, but uh, don't run yet. I'll tell you when we have to run. Brent will come out and go like this, and we'll go, okay, everybody. Else. No, that's it's great. Um, so, uh, so what's the difference? Well, let me ask you, if you were to say, and you guys have probably done this or seen this, if you were to say you wanted to prioritize your life, um, I've seen that at, at, at men's things, and you know, prioritize. Um, uh, here's the first question. Uh, should God be at the top of your list? Why are you guys even hesitating? I mean, it's like, yeah, of course. Like, but uh, it's, 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 it, most of your lists will look like this, right? God, and then what's probably next on the list? Huh? Wife, yes. What else? Kids, fam- we'll say family, okay, yeah. Next? I like, the, I like your priorities. Uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, Jim, what were you going to say? Uh, what's that? Yeah. You, you, were you going to say something? Jim. Jim. Oh, you're. Huh? That, that, yeah, that's a good priority. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we can, and all of us might even, that's where the list starts varying to different degrees. Some guys are, okay, God, my wife, my kids, or, or family is in there. Your occupation, your hobbies, uh, your friends, your family, other, like you can have that. But l- let me suggest something to you. And uh, uh, I think this is kind of an important thing. Could it be that we have that whole thing all wrong? And could it be that God should not be at the top of that list? Could it be that we've just totally been buying into a total wacko, crazy lie that God should be at the top of that list? Um, now, some of you are like, Brett, I'm getting up and leaving right now because I know, of course, God's supposed to be at the top of that list. But I'm wondering, and I want to suggest to you a few things uh, that you can maybe even uh, think through. And, and, and would you go with me to a certain scripture? I'd like you to go to, with me to Colossians chapter 3. And while you're turning there, Colossians chapter 3 um, I wonder if we've taken some bad advice by hearing people say God should be at the top of the list. Um, and um, maybe God does not want to be first place in your life. Um, you know, these things always sound so deceptively correct. God wants to be first in your life. I wonder if that's even true. It's always wise, by the way, to ask questions and wonder. And that's what I'm doing. Is it, does God really want to be first place in your life? Is, is, is it possible that even placing God on a list is insulting to Him? Have you ever thought about this? Just putting God on a list 
I would say you got God, and you got your family, and you got your career. Could God be going, like, I don't even belong on that list. Are you kidding? You're going to put me on a list on the same piece of paper as your career? I wonder. I wonder if God uh, would maybe uh, not want to be in first place. You're saying, Brad, I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know about this. Or, or, have I joined a cult here? Uh, where's the cameras? Uh, what's going on? No, no, I, th- I think this is important. Um, what, what people mean by saying we're putting God first in our lives, um, I think I understand, and we, we all know. What they mean is um, that, man, you need to make a priority out of your, your place. The things that we listed earlier, reading the Word, prayer, worship, service, evangelism, uh, all those things that we so value as a, as a godly man would. Um, and so you say, okay, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's putting God first. But, but here's the problem. Um, how many of us have wanted that in our lives, to put God first? But because, well, God's really percentage-wise not that first, um, some of you might have to be honest say, uh, what do you spend the most hours of your week doing? Working, don't you? Right there. So you come to a church like this, and a pastor like me comes and says, man, you need to put God first in your life. You're like, yeah, but I got to work. Um, yeah, but I, I got busy things, man. I got to drive the kids to, to football practice, and man, I got things to do, places to go, people to see, and oh yeah, sure, I tacked on a prayer at dinner time, and I, I got in a quick morning devotions, and and, uh, but that's about it. Oh, went to Wednesday night Bible study and Sunday morning service. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's only a few hours when you add it all up. But I spent, you know, 60 hours at work this week. And so here's the problem. I think men walk around feeling totally guilty and condemned because God is not, in fact, first in their life, their career is, or whatever else gets in the way of putting God first. And that list that we just talked about, it all goes by the wayside because it's just too hard. And so you feel the pressure to put God first and to pray and to get in the Word. And, you know, I, I got to admit, I think the reason we pastors peddle that as what you're supposed to do is guess what? I get to do that as a career. I get to seek the Lord and pray and study the Scriptures. And I get to come ready to share the Word on Sunday. Um, and, and, and guess what? Uh, I, I wish everybody was a pastor. It's the funnest job in the whole world. Uh, man, I get to study the Word and I get paid for it for crying out loud. Now, there's some other pitfalls that come along with being a pastor who's paid uh, to do that. I think that's where a lot of pastors, we, we, we do our thing for a paycheck. And then there's no example for the congregation of somebody who's really wholly following the Lord as a godly man with a passionate relationship for Christ. So we got this funny deal. We got the pastor who's paid to do the stuff that we're all supposed to be doing or feeling the pressure to pray and read the Word and evangelize and all that stuff we listed, but, but putting God first. I, I'm wondering, man, is that even possible in the model that we tend to gravitate toward, the, the one that's been told and peddled for years? But see, the reason that this is the most important thing is because you having a personal relationship and, and a personal devotion to God is, in fact, of the most important uh, things we could talk about. Because without personal devotion to God, uh, your marriage will not do well. Without you having a personal devotion to God, pornography will be a temptation and it will come against you. Without you having a personal devotion to God, your kids will see right through the fakeness of your walk. And they'll grow up and think, ah, oh, my parents are just kind of fake Christians. And, and they will walk away from the church and from the Lord. So I think the stakes 
are high. And I think that maybe we have to rethink what, what, what we, we think about the priority list. Should God be first in, their, in our lives? And I think the answer is no. No. Um, I think it's the wrong way of looking at it altogether. Uh, the implication is that we, we separate it out. We see um, there's worldly things and then there's godly things. There's spiritual things and there's secular things. Um, the mindset there is that there's a division between uh, the sacred and the secular. So in your priority list, it, it kind of looks like this. You've got God in number one, and then there's a line, because we, we do need to make a line. God's more important than all the other stuff. So there's yeah, God, of course, he's on top. And then number two, our family. But there's a line, because the top part is, is, is uh, spiritual. But everything else is, is worldly, temporal, or secular. And so it's a different category. And we tend to make that division, but I think that that mindset is, is wrong. Here's the thing. Uh, when we read the Bible, the Bible, even as God is described as a triune being, uh, we believe uh, the Holy Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, we were created in God's image, right? Um, which is interesting because as you read the Scriptures, you realize we are in a way created uh, to uh, maybe be sort of an image of God in the sense that we are made up of three parts as well, body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. And in our personal devotion, I think sometimes we let that body, soul, spirit divide uh, uh, cause walls into where we let God go. So we have our spiritual part of us, but we have the body part of us, which is very practical, very uh, temporary. And so we start to divide it up. And, and, um, and so, you know, you are a spirit, according to the Bible, who has a soul who lives in a body. That's really what the Bible teaches. Um, now, the problem is, uh, because you're a spirit, uh, a spirit being, uh, and by the way, your spirit's going to live, it's going to be forever. I mean, that's something that's going to last. These bodies, they're failing us, they're tents. Paul says it's just a tent. So the spirit part of you, uh, one of the things I think I would, I would bring out is that it goes with you wherever you go. So your spirit part of you goes with you to work, if you would. Um, and it goes with you to the uh, game field when your kids are playing football. Uh, your spirit goes with you everywhere you go, and that's something you don't leave behind. Um, you don't turn the spirit off and come up with the soul on uh, in any given situation. Your body, soul, spirit, you can't divide that. So since you're a spiritual being who lives in a human body, everything you do is 100% spiritual. Uh, and I would also say, uh, and everything you do is 100% natural. Uh, and, and we can't divide those things. Everything you do is 100% spiritual. That, that's where I'm going with this. Um, so uh, all that to say, uh, the idea is uh, the who determines the do. Uh, who are you as a man? And it determines what you do as a man. And it's part of the body, soul, spirit that dictates who you are as a man. Um, so you're saying, okay, Brett, I'm confused. What, what, what does this all mean? What are you trying to say? Well, it, it looks like this. Since all that's uh, the truth, every action that you do is a spiritual action. I, I wonder if we really thought of this. You know, um, when you shaved this morning, of course, some of you guys didn't shave. Uh, uh, so you, uh, when you brushed your tooth uh, this morning, um, was that a spiritual thing? 
Uh, some people say, no, man, that's just brushing your teeth. That's just shaving your face. Um, but I wonder what would happen if a man started to realize that, man, you're, you brought your spirit into that toothbrushing session. And have you ever noticed that when you're t- brushing your teeth, you actually do think still? Your brain is still working, at least some of us. Um, yeah, I guess some of you could just check out. And, uh, but your, your brain is still working. C- could God speak to you when you're brushing your teeth? Could God, I know that's almost ridiculous, some people will say, but your spirit's still alive and well. And it's a time where Jesus is still there with you uh, when you brush your teeth. Uh, even the most menial of tasks. I wonder if we really viewed uh, that Jesus is with us all the time, that His Spirit, His Holy Spirit is with us all the time, uh, if we were more tuned in. We've programmed ourselves to tune out until we're at a spiritual moment. Oh, oh wait, it's dinner time. Huh, time to turn on the Spirit. And now we're going to pray and bless the food. And then, man, once we start chowing down, that's all about the body. So shut down the spirit. Uh, Is that what we do? See, here's the thing. You know, uh, all the everyday life things, playing and working and worshiping and going to church and coaching football and all that stuff, could it be that all of that stuff was meant to be uh, spiritual? Uh, Here's the thing. Why can't God be first place? in your life? Why should he not be first place in your life? Uh, I'll I'll show you. It's Colossians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 3. Colossians 3, 3. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. You see what that phrase said there? That, I mean, this is radical when you think about it. Christ, who is our life. Christ is our life. That's a radical thing. Now, this shouldn't be too radical, though, to all of us. This should seem kind of familiar, shouldn't it? Because doesn't pretty much the whole Bible, and, and especially the New Testament, tell us this, that Christ is our whole life. It's the whole deal. Um, it's, uh, what is it, uh, Acts seventeen twenty eight. In Him we live and move and have our being. How do we have our being? What, what do we live and move and have all of our being? It's in Him, in Christ. It's in Him we live and move and have our being. So here, here Paul's telling the Colossians, he, he's not just part of your life. He is your life. He is your life. Um, Jesus is the essence of life. And that's why this chapter, man, if you have time, read all of Colossians chapter 3. You know, he's, he talks about if you've been risen with, with Christ, then seek the things which are above. He, he says it's all about seeking things that are above and heavenly. Uh, set your affections on things above and not on things of this earth. Uh, he's, he's trying to move us away from just looking at it as earthly, temporal, uh, te- temporary. But the stuff that's spiritual, he says, Christ is your life. And he goes on and talks about how you can then put to death your, your flesh, mortify, put to death your fleshly deeds. And we're going to talk about that stuff in later sessions, putting off fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil uh, uh, concupiscence and covetousness and all that stuff. We're going to go on to that. And, and it's going to talk about putting on what you're to put on. And, and whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Whatever you do, Colossians 3, 23, whatever, all things, whatever you do, brushing your teeth, coaching football, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord and not unto men. 
You see, I think this is a life changer when you realize that this is really the whole, the whole deal. It's Christ in me that's my hope and glory. It's, it's Philippians 1, 21. You guys know the passage where Paul, he says, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Life is Christ. Dying is gain. Dying to myself, giving up my life, but to live anything I'm doing alive and living, it's Christ. Um, it's not even about Christ or with the help of Christ. It is Christ. And uh, that's, that's the radical truth. He is your life, according to Colossians 3, 3 and 4. Now, um, notice Paul um, when he talks about that in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Notice with me that Paul, either here in Colossians or in Philippians, he, he's not saying, you know, that Christ is important to him. Top of the priority list. Do you see, do you see how weird that almost sounds to hear Paul, if I were to write a, a, another sentence in Philippians? What if I were to take out a pencil and say, I'm going to write another verse in the Bible? Not advised, by the way. But let's just say I wrote another verse and I said, and Paul wants you to know that Jesus should be priority one. Does that fit with Paul's teaching? The fact is, it doesn't. Paul doesn't say Jesus is your, you know, priority one, number one on the list. He's saying your life is Christ. It is Christ. Um, and uh, any other life after that is dead, uh, mortified, hidden, even as he says, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall appear with him in glory. Um, so Christ is not important to Paul. Uh, it's everything. Um, uh, Paul's not trying to give Christ a proper place in his life. I think that might be one of the biggest mistakes we make as men, trying to give Christ proper place in our life. Um, could I even say it's, it's as dastardly as you putting Christ in his place? I'm going to have my Jesus section. You've heard me teach on this. I've, I've, I've not spent a lot of time on it, but have you you know, you've heard me talk about the carp compartmentalizing your lives. And I've talked about how, you know, you got your, your family, your hobbies, you got your work, you've got, uh, you know, your ministry and Jesus, and, and then you got these compartments. And we're so good at compartmentalizing. But I've always said, but Jesus should be over it all. But I'm even finding that analogy to be clumsy. And the Lord's just been reminding me of how it's much bigger than even that. Christ is your life. It's not over even the sections of your life. That analogy breaks down. I, I want us to see that it's everything about Jesus. Jesus is our life and, and, and our life in everything that we do. Um, so he's not trying to put Christ in his place. He's recon, recognizing Paul is that Christ really is everything to him. Everything. Um, so he doesn't uh, want this, this priority. I, I don't believe that's the idea. You know, um, if we really acknowledge that Jesus is the substance of everything around us, by him all things consist, Colossians tells us, literally are held together. In fact, Paul's use of those words in the Greek language is going down to the very basics of the atom. Literally all things consist or are held together by Christ. Our life literally is Christ. Um, it's a radical deal. So um, um, I would just say that Christ can only be one thing in your life. So if you're writing out your priority list, number one, here's how it should look, I think. Uh, number one, you jot it down, Christ is your life in your family. That's number one. Christ is your life in your family. Number, number one, 
Next one, number one. What, Brett? No, that's number two. Nope, number one. So the first one was number one. Number one, the next one, Christ is your life in your work. So the next one after that, number one, Christ is your life in worship, prayer, Bible reading, and church attendance. Next one after that, number one, Brett, that we should be on number four. Nope, number one. Christ is your life in your hobbies, your interests. And then uh, as we move on, number one, Brett, that's number what? Number, number five. Nope, number one. Christ is your life in your parenting, um, in your coffee drinking, uh, in your gun shooting, uh, in your uh, joking around with each other. It's all, it's the whole deal. Christ in your life. It, he is your life. Christ is your life in your family, in your work. Um, I think the priority list maybe is doing us a disservice, and it's the way we think about it. Now, here's why this is important. You say, Brett, this is just a nuance, man. I think it's more than that. I'll tell you why. Instead of legalistically trying to, you know, put God first in your life, which you and I have failed miserably, if, if it's the priority list, nobody in this room has ever said, I have truly achieved God as number one. Um, and there's so many measuring tools you can, you can measure. Uh, I used an earlier one I talked about the hours you spend in the week. Um, most of us uh, uh, have not spent more hours serving Jesus, loving Jesus, praying, reading the Word, having a devotion to God. Most of us have not dominated our life with that hour to hour. Would you guys agree with that? I think that's the truth. And, and, and so you, you failed and I have failed. Now, I got to tell you, there was a time in my life when I was a young man, I thought I could do it. Someday, someday I'm going to get to that place where I can be like Pastor John, my pastor. Because, man, he knows the Word. He carries the Bible with him everywhere he goes. And he knows the Scripture. I remember um, uh, when I was a young man, um, uh, uh, my grandfather mentioned um, the book of James. And he was joking around about something. And I remember my grandfather said, do you guys really know much about the book of James? And my pastor, John, just started from John, uh, James chapter 1, verse 1, and just started speaking it, the whole thing, off the top of his head. Just the, memorize the book of James. How many of you guys have done that? This is what I had to grow up with watching. <laughs> he was my pastor. I was like, oh, I've got to memorize the book of James. I remember thinking, I am just not going to be that. Now, now, now here's the thing. Um, there was a season of my life knowing that my pastor really was a man devoted to God, and I saw a richness and a, a, a blessing in that. But uh, it, it didn't take long where I felt, man, I'm just a huge failure. And, and there's a point where you almost want to just give up and think, well, man, I, I, I'm not going to be that. I, I, I can't have Christ be number one in my life because I've tried and I've failed. So, so, so what are you going to do? What are you going to do now that you've tried and failed and you're at the ripe old age of 21 and all these spiritual men in Athe Creek are looking at you saying, how's your devotion to God? And you're thinking, oh man, nowhere where it needs to be. And, and out of legalism, you'll either do one of two things. You will either learn to play the Christian man game and come off like you know Scripture, hoping that nobody will ever really nail you down what does the book of James say? And you'll be exposed as the non-James memorizer that you are. 
uh, or, or somebody will come and ask you to pray, and you're really nervous about that because you know, even though you kind of appear to be a, a religious guy and, and, a, and a fervent guy for Jesus, you don't want anybody to ask you to pray lest you'll be exposed as a guy who doesn't know how to pray correctly. And it's just this legalistic burden that you carry, and so you walk around hoping to be spiritual and perceived that way, and it's just really a fake deal. And that's why Christianity, by the way, whether you're a man or a woman, gets the fake uh, hypocritical reputation that it does, because some people can kind of perceive that we're putting on this fake deal, and it doesn't take much. And so you feel more guilty about that, and you're more burdened. And so instead of, uh, you know, looking at it that way, I, I realized uh, early in my life that I had to do something different. I, I couldn't do the fake thing, because that's just, that's just weak, and it makes you feel condemned, and you're worried you'll be found out. Why do people leave the church? Uh, you know, there's all these articles written and stuff about why millennials leave the church and stuff. And I don't know if anybody really knows, but I wonder if it has something to do with some of this stuff. Where we've promoted this thing in the church where you have to sort of look to a certain level of spirituality. And if you don't measure up, then you will kind of be perceived as somebody who's not really that dialed in. And everybody else is dialed in, but not you. And, the, and some people say, man, I saw my dialed in dad. I saw that at church he really looked spiritual, but I saw him kick the dog when he was at home. And I saw him get angry at, at, his, at my, my mom, and I saw him yell at my mom and, and get mad at the neighbor and yell at the idiots driving on the road. And I saw what a spiritual, uh, depraved man he was, but man, he sure had the thing dialed in with his religious friends. And so kids grow up seeing dad be fake, and mom maybe as well. And it's out of legalism. So instead of trying to legalistically keep God in first place in your life, which I would say you cannot do. Um, I guess what I want to do this morning is invite you off the treadmill of religion. Get off the treadmill and uh, put all the fake stuff behind and realize we're all, all of us guys are in the same place, but there's some really freeing, really uh, joyful news that I have for you. Um, it's not Christ number one or God number one in your life. Uh, your life is Christ. Uh, even as Paul said, it's all, it's all Jesus. And it's you experiencing God in a, in a way that's just day in and day out, moment by moment, wherever you are, whenever you are, just enjoying Jesus. Um, you know, um, if you live this life where, uh, where, like Paul says here in Colossians 3, Christ, who is our life, if you live in this mentality, then Christ is always number one. If you realize your whole life is Jesus, every breath you take is, is a spiritual Jesus time, then suddenly you're, you're not feeling guilty because you're not having Jesus in your life. You're living your life because he is your life. Um, you know, now, here's the thing. The substance of who you are, Jesus is your identity. That's at Acts 17, 20, 28. Uh, in him we live and move and have all our being. So um, now here's the thing. In everything, in everywhere, um, I am with Jesus. Jesus is with me. He, he's my all in all. Uh, everything I do, when I work, when I play, when I eat, when I sleep, it's all Jesus. Um, and if I, if I start looking at it that my life is Christ, um, even, you know, the Bible talks so much about this. It's, it's, when you start realizing how much we've missed, um, the love of Christ is what constrains me, as Paul talked about. So it's this permanent experience of Jesus in your life that I think that, that the Bible's asking of us. It's not that we prioritize Jesus. It's just, it is Jesus, the whole thing. 
And that's why even in marriage, you know, there's people who go to marriage counseling and they'll talk about all the symptoms and all the problems. But what did the Bible say? It's Jesus. He says, um, Paul says, you know, for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Um, and he says, but this is a great mystery. What, what's the mystery? And then Paul answers it. He says, the mystery is I speak concerning Jesus Christ and the church. What makes the most godly husband is, is the husband that loves his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How, how do you have a great marriage? Jesus is your life. He's filling your life. He is he's Christ in you, and, and that's your hope of glory. It's all Jesus. Um, so experiencing Jesus. Now, um, here's the thing. Have you ever found um, some of our holy roller brothers and sisters? And I got to say, I like those guys. Uh, I'll tell you why I like the Holy Rollers is because they believe the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is still alive and well today. Now, I, I'll give it to, to, to some of you guys that are hardcore Baptists, as I was when I was a little kid. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, sometimes it gets a little crazy. Um, and they're swinging from the chandeliers and stuff like that. But I love that there are people who are saying, man, we want to see the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, here's the problem. When they seek after signs and wonders and chase after an experience with God, this is where it gets dangerous. Experiencing God. I think there's a buzzword you kind of have to watch out for in this current move of, of worship that we're seeing around the world today. Where there, uh, have you heard about the church where gold dust falls from the ceiling down in Redding, California? <coughs> Big move, um, last eight, seven or eight years. <coughs> and, um, and, um, you, you, you know, it's a worship, and I think that all of a sudden gold dust starts falling. They call it the glory cloud. You guys heard about this? And, um, uh, um, and the, the problem is uh, it's, it's, the, it's the talk of the town, you know, or of the nation as far as church people go. But, but here's the thing. The problem with that church is they're, ch- they're chasing after the next glory cloud experience. And as I've watched Christianity and people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and, and looking for those experiences— they're looking for the next high or the next experience, and that's where it gets wacko, uh, the being drunk in the Spirit or barfing in the Spirit. I've actually seen people do this, barfing in the Spirit. There's nothing in the Bible about that. Um, and, and so, uh, yeah, you get outside of the Bible pretty fast on that one. But the desire to experience the presence of God in your life, um, that's, that's legit. To be able to go for days without even thinking about Jesus or talking to Jesus, that's, that's not what we want as men. We want to be people who are encountering God in our life, hearing from God, talking with God, uh, praying without ceasing, man, having this devotion to God that's just 24-7. And, and it's not a got to, it's a get to. It's not a pressure where you're like, oh man, now I got to pray and do all this stuff all the time. No, it's when you realize that Christ, it, it is your life even as Paul tries to teach us. Um, so, you know, the thing is, we don't have to worry about letting other things become more important uh, in priority. If Christ is our life, we don't have to worry about that. Oh, but Brett, I'm worried about, I love my wife so much that it'll, it'll uh, eclipse my love of God. Do you realize that they're not exclusively separate things? For you to put every bit of love into your wife um, is, is to love Christ. It's to be obedient to Christ. It's all part of the same deal. And so this, this encountering God often is something people um, want to do and they try to make happen with their spiritual efforts and they're trying to be holy men. They, they try to make their spiritual activities 
but, but here's the thing. I believe you can experience God, but it should be effortless because I'm already just uh, in a lifetime of encountering Jesus day in and day out. It's not a priority. It's just my life is Christ. So when I walk out of this room today, it's Jesus. He's with me. He's in my heart, and he's on my mind. And it's just part of my lifestyle. It's who I am as a man. And it's not that I have to feel guilty about anything. Christ is in me. I'm saved. Uh, When you accepted Jesus and became a Christian, when you repented from your sins, Christ was then in you. And, uh, and it gets even more radical than that in kind of a way. Do you remember what Jesus said when he said it's expedient there in John chapter 14, John chapter 16? He said it's expedient that I leave you. And the reason why is the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, is going to come and he's going to do some great things. And the Spirit, his Spirit, is going to connect with your Spirit. And, and the, the Holy Spirit would move in you and work through you. Now, Paul the Apostle would try to dial it in even more in some radical things. I'm going to have you turn to one more passage. Uh, Go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. I love Romans 8. Probably one of the radically joyful, blessed chapters in the Bible. Um, It was Dr. Donald Barnhouse, by the way, said, when a man's Bible falls and hits the ground, it should automatically open to Romans chapter (laughs) 8. I like that. But in Romans chapter 8, we have here this, um, this interesting thing about experiencing Jesus um, by His Spirit. This is where we kind of nail it down. And we start in uh, Romans 8, verse, uh, let's go to verse 5. It says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Now pause for a second. When we talk about the flesh, that's your body, and that's the carnal. That's the stuff that we try to separate out. Remember the old list we had? We had God that was the spiritual part. But then after that, everything's kind of flesh. It's the carnal. It's the secular. It's the non-spiritual. Family, jobs, hobbies, the, the priority. We were trying to separate those two. But the new list, well, what do we do with the flesh? Check it out. He says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit um, mind the things of the Spirit. Four, to be carnally minded, fleshly minded, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Man, I've got that marked in my Bible. To be spiritually minded is life. Not it helps life, not it contributes to a happy life. No, to be spiritually minded is uh, life. It's the embodiment of life and peace. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. By the way, that's why you can't do the priority list. It's what the Bible says. Because your carnal mind, mine too, uh, it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The Bible says your carnal mind can't be. So what do you do? Check it out. It says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And I think we all feel that, don't you? When you're trying to keep your priority list in the flesh and saying, oh yeah, God's number one, but I'm really trying. I'm working hard at making God a priority in my life. But have you ever felt like, man, that just doesn't seem to be very pleasing to God what I'm doing? This is where we have to bail on making God job one, priority number one. No, he is our life. He's the whole thing. And if you're trying to do the, the, the flesh and the spirit and mix it all together, 
I would say, verse 8, he's trying to say, you cannot please God that way. Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. This is, this is what I'm saying. We are in the Spirit, uh, not in the flesh. So if, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Um, by the way, you know, why would, why would Paul say here you're not debtors to the flesh? I'll tell you why. Because Satan is whispering in your ear, you owe the flesh. You, you owe a debt to your flesh. Your flesh needs to be paid. But here the Lord is saying, that's just Satan. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Verse 13, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify, that means kill, uh, the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God they are the sons of God. And man, we could go on and read uh, Romans 8, just continues to get more and more glorious as you read on. But the point is simply this, guys. Um, this idea of, of compartmentalizing God or putting him at the top of the list, I think is one of the biggest mistakes we might be making. But to look at it like, uh, like this, like Paul's saying, man, it's either flesh or it's gonna be spirit. It's one or the other. And we're to put to death our flesh mortify the deeds of the flesh. That means just, you know, I think one of the reasons we wrestle with sin so much um, is because we have prioritized sin into our lives. Because God's at the top, but we still have room for other things because God's not part of our hobby. So when I go play golf with my buddies, that's not part of the compartment that Jesus is in. So I get to do more of the deeds of the flesh. So I can sit and joke around and cuss and uh, say things that are just kind of uh, not really what a good, godly, devoted man to God would say at a, on a golf course. But I can say it because Jesus isn't part of that in my life. However, if you're realizing that Jesus is on the course with you, his spirit is filling you, and he's wanting to move and empower you to be a light in a dark world. And, and he, wants to, he wants you to realize it is your life. Your relationship with Christ is when you play golf and when you brush your teeth. Uh, it's, it's a mindset of just being a guy who's all Jesus all the time. And rather than being a got to, everything becomes a get to, where you get to just experience Christ. Um, you, guys have, you guys have felt this. I think um, there's moments where we know, wow, I wasn't even doing a spiritual thing and suddenly I felt Christ. Um, have you ever just been in a beautiful sunset and you're driving down the road like, oh man, Lord, that's amazing. Um, I wonder if heaven's going to be like that. And suddenly you're thinking about a godly, heavenly thing. I, I think that the, the Lord wants to do that all the time in our lives. Should we allow him? Should we open up our lives instead of prioritizing God, just say, Lord, every inch of my life I want to give to you. And it takes all the pressure off. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect or sinless, but man, when you're living and experiencing Christ, what happens is, is you'll see the sin for what it is. Um, you'll have a healthy conviction in your heart about things you should or shouldn't be doing. 
and you'll start moving to that, that work that God really wants you to be. We're a work in progress. Christ is building something in our lives. But as long as we keep compartmentalizing Christ or God at the top of a list, I think it's going to take a lot longer, maybe till heaven, before we see any real good progress in the rest of the list. Do you want to be a good husband, a good father, a good man who's serving Christ? Um, man, let's just let Christ be our lives. He is our all in all. He fills us. He floods our life. Should we let him? Should we allow him? Now, practically, how does that happen? I think it happens by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I'll probably talk about this further in a, in a later study, but here's the thing. Um, when Paul's talking about our flesh and spirit and how it's warring together, um, it's the Holy Spirit in you. Um, that's why God says in his word, Jesus even talked about you fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more will the Father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask? This warring of our flesh and spirit, you will fail. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by the Spirit of God, says, says the Lord of hosts, we're told in the scriptures. So you've got to have the filling of the Spirit in your life. Um, otherwise, you're going to just keep on the treadmill of religion, trying to do better, trying to be better, only to find yourself stumbling and failing time and time again. Um, I think it'd be great if we saw the brothers at Athey Creek on fire, not because we prioritize things, but because Christ is in us, doing his work, burning brightly. Would you bow your heads, please, as we close this morning? with just an attitude of prayer and your head's bowed. Just kind of consider where you're at on this. And, um, you know, so many people, I think, are running around trying to find the Jesus experience of a lifetime. But I would argue this morning that the Lord would want us to have a lifetime of experiencing Jesus in our lives. Not looking for the moment of Jesus, but having our lives just surrounded with Jesus. And, um, and when Jesus taught us how that would look, he spent great effort talking in John 14 and John 16 about having the Spirit fill our lives, where he'd instruct us in truth, remind us, point us back to Jesus. And <clears throat> maybe some of you have never experienced the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit in your life. Um, maybe some of you have tried to uh, prioritize God in your life, and, and you've only felt condemnation as you keep trying, but man, it just seems like you have failure. But I believe the Lord would, would want guys to be freed up from the legalism of a list and be able to live and walk in grace. Walking in grace. We're saved by grace, but we also walk in grace. Uh, sometimes I think guys think we're saved by grace, and then you better put on the law and start doing and being and trying harder. But man, that'll wear you out. Trust me, I've been a Christian for a lot of years, and the more I just try to do it in my own flesh, I find myself to be a bigger sinner than ever. But when I open the door of my heart to letting the Spirit live in me and Christ be my everything— that's when I find myself just free and enjoying Jesus, not feeling guilty about Jesus, just enjoying him. And then, then my wife sees Christ in me, shining brightly. My kids, 
They see a reality. Uh, my coworkers, they may not hear me preach a sermon in my cubicle, but they, they see that my life is a sermon. And I would wish that for all of us. And I'd like to just have a moment of honesty uh, today, and, and I want to pray for, for you guys that are particularly um, sensing that the Lord is, is stirring things up in your heart today. Um, and I'm just going to ask, if, if that's you, if you're saying, Brett, I, I want to move away from kind of insulting God with saying, I'm going to put him on a list somewhere. Instead, I'm just going to say, Lord, flood my life. And a man of devotion means a man who just has Jesus, who is his life. It's all part of everything. And, and um, instead of being pressured just to experience Christ in a new way, I think the Lord wants to do that. I think he wants to fill some of you guys right now with the Holy Spirit. If you ask him, he will do it. That's what the Bible says. So if that's you, I'm going to just uh, say a prayer, but I'm going to ask for boldness. Let's all, let's all stand together right now and just keep in that attitude of prayer. And I'm going to ask you guys that are saying, Brett, that's me. Um, I'm going to ask you to be bold. Don't be a chicken. Um, but if you're saying, no, I know that that's a stirring. I know that's a word for me. I want you to come right down here to the very front and just stand here and uh, acknowledge that need. And I'm going to ask that the elders, um, that you guys all come up here too. All the elders and all the deacons, you guys come up. And I'd like you guys just to come up and surround these guys. Just come all around them. Just come right on up here. And let's just say this prayer to the Lord. He's going to hear our prayer. He's going to honor this prayer. Man, let's just, let's just dive deep right here. Elders, why don't you guys just put your hands on each other's shoulders? The Bible talks about laying on of hands. Man, let's do that. Let's pray for each other right now. Just reach out to the guys next to you. I thought we'd have enough elders to pray here, but I don't think so. You guys, let's pray for each other. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our failures. You know our struggles, Lord. We, we know the games we've played, the, the fakeness that we've all had, Lord, myself included, Lord, trying to be who we're supposed to be. And, and Lord, living with that is just not, not good. And we found ourselves to be frail men who mess up and fall short. But Lord, I pray that instead of trying to put you first, I pray that, Lord, you just be everything, that you'd be our life, that in you, Lord, we live and move and have all our being. Lord, I pray that you'd just take each one of these brothers standing here right now, that you'd fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, just come upon them in a powerful way that they'd walk with you and serve you. I pray that they'd feel empowered um, when they don't know what to say, be the words for them, Lord. When they don't know what to do in raising their kids, Lord, be their actions. Uh, Lord, guide their directions and, and the things they say. Lord, I pray that, that, that their words would be seasoned by your spirit, Lord. I pray, Father, that as these guys are working and serving and walking, Lord, I pray that, that this would be a new season for Athey Creek where these brothers would burn brightly, shining the light and the life of your son, that it would be real and powerful and living and important. So, Lord, bless these guys, we pray. I pray that they'd go from this place just knowing that your spirit is on them. They don't have to try to make all this stuff happen, but I pray that your spirit, just by the power of your Holy Spirit, that these guys would sense your moving, your blessing. Lord, I pray that it'd be not by our own might. Um, help us to just avoid that whole thing, struggling in our own flesh. Lord, I pray that we'd mortify the deeds of the flesh like Paul told us, and let your spirit do its work, Lord. Help us to just get out of the way. 
and that you'd use these guys. Lord, I pray that your spirit would promote a new hunger and a thirst after righteousness. I pray that your Holy Spirit would remind us of your word every moment of the day as we're thinking about doing something wrong. May your spirit just convict our hearts quickly that we'd live a Jesus life, Lord, and that it'd be radically changing who this fellowship really is. So bless my brothers, bless them, Lord. We thank you in advance for what you're gonna do in these guys. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, man. Praise the Lord. That's great. That's great. Well, here's what I want you to do. I'd like you guys to think about and pray about over the next month um, how this is going to work out practically. When we get together next time, I'm going to do a question and answer time. And you can come ready to go with questions and answers. And uh, we'll talk about Christ living. And, um, and some of the struggles maybe. Uh, so come ready with that. We'll do some questions, answers. But get to know some other brothers. I'm hoping that eventually you guys will start to know each other and uh, start teaming up and maybe even hooking up once in a while off the record, off the church here and, and uh, making some friends. So, man, I, I think there's some more donuts. Feel free to hang around. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. We'll see you tonight or tomorrow morning. <laughs>